always. Always. When reading the Bible since my conversion, whether I'm in the Old Testament or whether I'm in the New Testament, and I like to read the Bible. I've learnt to love the Bible. I've learnt to treasure the Bible. It is a precious, precious thing. And I have learned, and I have always done this, when I'm reading the Bible, I'm always looking for Jesus. And the amazing thing is, is when you start looking for Jesus in the Bible, you will find him. I remember when I bought a Hyundai i30. This is a guy who used to drive XR8s. A Hyundai, Hyundai i30. It was the sports model, the SR, red. It had mag wheels on it. You know, before I bought that car, I'd never seen a Hyundai i30 on the road. Have you ever done this? <laughs> but then I start driving in a Hyundai i30, and it sees every other person I see on the road is driving a Hyundai i30. Have you ever seen that? I kind of think it's like that with Jesus in the Bible. You can read it, and I see scholars who do it. And they read it, and they just don't see Jesus. In fact, and it leaves me in wonder sometimes at the Christian world, the way they, 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 they carry on. Because some of the greatest theologians that Christians listen to and read that are in our universities, and we're taught these guys in theology, they are great when it comes to the Bible and the technicalities of Scripture, but somewhere, somehow, some of them didn't even see Jesus. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And I've entitled this sermon, A Tale of Two Mountains. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Don't you wish you had an experience with Jesus like that? Abraham's talking to Jesus like you talk to a husband, wife, a child, a friend or a neighbour. They're talking one-on-one. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. I wonder if God called you or me, whether we'd even recognise his voice. God, now, this is very important point one in this Bible study today. Abraham knew the voice of God. Now, you may, that, you may be saying, well, that doesn't really... Yes, it does matter a whole lot that you know the voice of God. We are going into end times. You need to know the voice of God because God is going to lead, guide and direct you through these end times. Do not be afraid at what is ahead of us. Do not fear. You have God, but you need to know the voice of God. And Abraham knew the voice of God because Abraham was talking, was with God, was in his presence all the time. And if you say today, well, I don't know the voice of God. If he, I mean, how would you be? If God came to you, Jesus says this, it's the end of time. Jesus says at the end of time, Christians are going to suffer persecution. Oh no, that's impossible. Not in Australia, not in the United States, New Zealand and the world. That's not what Jesus said. Read Matthew 24. So how are you going to be if a voice comes to you and says, sell your house, put all the money into the work, and then flee. How are you going to be? Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Huh? Does it? Because it does me. 
Yet before Jesus comes, I don't know what God's journey, don't, don't, don't for a minute think that Lloyd is saying, go and sell your house and put all your money into the work and flee. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying today is God is going before the end of time to ask you to do uncomfortable things. And you better know his voice. Because there are a lot of other voices calling you too. And I see it in Christianity. I actually see television evangelists saying to their congregations, go and sell your house and put all the money into my ministry. And I'll drive an AMG Mercedes and I'll live in a luxury mansion. And people are doing it. There are a lot of voices out there. You need to know God's voice. Abraham knew God's voice. And just as well he did, because what God now asks Abraham to do, unheard of. When you read it, you ought to recoil. Take your son, your only son. Yes, yes, Lord. Take him, this son whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. This is a test of faith. But praise God, Abraham knew who was talking to him. Amen? He knew it was God. He knew it wasn't a demon. He knew it wasn't a devil. He knew it wasn't an evil spirit. He knew God. Oh, my brothers and sisters here at New Hope, as we plunge into end times, if I can encourage you to anything, if you get nothing from this sermon today but this one point, get this, know God. Know his voice. Be in his presence. Know your God. This is a test of faith. Verse 3. The next morning Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for a place God had told him about. Only Abraham knows what God's called him to do. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey. How did he know it was the place? Because Abraham knew God. Because on this journey, Abraham was talking to God. God was leading him. God was directing him. And as you go on your journey, God will lead you. God will direct you. But again, know his voice. Stay here. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. Stay here with, with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. I like this. Worship is often between you and God. The servants were told to stay. Only Abraham and Isaac were to go. And I like the statement that Isaac makes. He says, we will go there to worship God. And then he didn't say, I will come back. What did he say? We will come back. And that should give you an insight into the faith that Abraham had with God. Oh, too often God asks us to do things and we won't step out in faith because not only do we think we will fail, we think we won't come back. 
But Abraham said, we're going to worship. I promise you, we will come back. And they went to a place called Mount Moriah. Now, if this was a, if this was a class at school, I'd ask a question. How many, of you, how many of you know where Mount Moriah is? Let's see your hands. One or? Come on, that's, surely there's more than that. How many know where Mount Moriah is? Who's ever been to Mount Moriah? Oh, let me tell you about Mount Moriah. It is a place in this story. This is where this story occurs, on Mount Moriah. A thousand years later, on Mount Moriah, David the king, he buys Mount Moriah off a jubicite called Aruna, and he built an altar there to the Lord. That's a thousand years later. So you see, this mountain starting to have a bit of history in Israel and Christian history. There's some history here. Um, King Solomon then, because David already bought this mountain, King Solomon, under the guidance of God, then builds the first glorious temple on this mountain. But Nebuchadnezzar destroyed that temple. 70, 80, 90 years later, Israel had been in captivity, had been in slavery. They came home and they put a temple, they built a second temple on Mount Moriah. And then in AD 70, the Romans came and destroyed that temple. Now, guess what's there now? 700, 800 years after Christ, there is a mosque, a Muslim worship house of worship on Mount Moriah. Have you ever seen the Dome of the Rock? Well, that is built on the exact spot where this story happened. A lot of people believe that the Jews, a lot of people believe that the Bible says the Jews will build another temple there before the end. It won't happen. The next temple to be built on that mountain will be built by the hands of God. And the Bible says, and there's another story, it is there from that mountain where God will put his temple that he will then rule the universe and you and I can be there if we have faith in this God. Now the story of this mountain is spectacular. It is a story for Abraham of faith, but for us it's a story of salvation. Verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and he said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. Abraham knew God. Go and sacrifice your son, Abraham. Okay. Stay there, servants. We will come back. Dad, where's the lamb? God will provide a lamb. Now, I like this story because I think in this story, Abraham represents God. And I think Isaac represents us. This is why the story is put there. Now, a lot of people say to me, well, Isaac represents Jesus. Well, yeah, I can see analogies to Jesus in Isaac, but I don't think Isaac represents Jesus in this story. Isaac represents us. Let me show you how. Verse 6, so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. On Isaac's shoulders. Isaac is carrying the burden. 
He's carrying the very wood that is being sent up the mountain by God to be put on an idol, uh, uh, sorry, an altar to burn him to death, to sacrifice him. You are a sinner. And today you are carrying burdens. I don't know what they are, but they're heavy and they hurt and they cause shame and they cause guilt. Sin, some of them very dark. And only you and God so know some of the sins that are in your life. And you are walking up a mountain. And like Isaac, you're going to be put on an altar. And those sins, those burdens, make no mistake as I talk to you today, unless something happens, they are going to kill you. The human race has a problem and it's death. I, I went and visited one of my good friends on Sabbath as I shared in Sabbath school. I talked to him. As we finished our conversation, I knelt because he is a good friend of mine. Actually, at Warunga, I saw the day because we made a call. And he actually got up the front. I saw the day he got up the front and came down the front and gave his heart to Jesus in front of the whole church. It was on live stream in front of the whole world. He gave his heart to Jesus. And I knelt down and I put my arms around him. As I was leaving, I said, if I don't see you here, I'll see you in the kingdom. And he said, yeah, you will see me in the kingdom. That the last words I ever heard from him. He died Wednesday, Thursday last week. His funeral's this Monday. We face a problem and it's death, but you know what? It's not that death. That death, God says, Bruce loved the Lord. He had faith in him. He knew he's God. He knew he was just going to sleep and he'd wake up to see Jesus come. That's not the death problem we face. We face a problem of second death. We get put up on that altar with our sins and that knife comes down and slays us. It's second death. It's eternal death. It's eternal annihilation. That's what the entire human race faces. We are Isaac. We are trudging millions, billions. What do you think that the, the message of our church is so urgent for? We're into saving lives through Christ, pointing them to Jesus. And it's an urgent message and our entire attention now should be focused on this message that Jesus saves. We have an entire generation of people around the world, billions who do not know Jesus. And they are trudging up Mount Moriah with these burdens on their back, burdened down by their sin, can't sleep, faced with great anxiety, depression sweeping across the world, darkness pressing them down and down till finally they stagger up onto that altar. And they're bound by ropes, bound by Satan himself. And then they're slain and disappear into eternal annihilation. That is what the human race faces. And that's what God is trying to show us in this story. And I think God's trying to let us know how much it cost him to, to give his only son. Verse 9, when they arrived at the place God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. It's on. Second death. About to lose his son forever. And I love this. At that moment. So you're on the altar. Your hands are bound. The wood has been laid. The knife is above you. You are about to perish. And God looks down. God's God's doing theatre here for us. He wants to show you how much he loves you. He wants to show you what he's prepared to do to save you so that you don't have to face eternal annihilation at that very moment and God's doing it for you today I don't, I don't know how you come into this church I don't know what you're facing I don't know what sins are burdening you down but I do know sin burdens you down because I've been burdened down by it myself I know what it's like to be guilty I know what it's like to be so ashamed and scared that people would see what I'm really like I know what it's like to be bent over carrying these burdens that are so heavy that I can barely I can barely breathe and you're on the altar and you're about to perish burdened down darkness enshrouding you and at that very moment the angel of the Lord and that's Jesus Christ the messenger of the Lord the angel of the Lord called from heaven Abraham Abraham yes Abraham you can imagine yes Lord yes Lord here am I praise God you've come don't Lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. For I know you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. God steps in. God intervenes. And you're about to perish. And Jesus cries out from heaven, Stop! Stop! Don't hurt Lloyd, don't hurt Lizzie, don't hurt Zoran, don't hurt Wally, don't hurt Desiree, don't hurt Christine, don't hurt Rachel, don't hurt Leah. That's what God's saying today, don't hurt. And then I love this. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yarah, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use the name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. This happens on Mount Moriah. Abraham looks across and there's a ram, a lamb. He takes his son off the altar. God takes you off the altar and he replaces him with a ram, with a lamb. Now there are two important mountains in Jerusalem. There's Mount Moriah and you know what the other one is? Mount Golgotha. Mount Golgotha. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't you lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. 
And Jesus gets down off his throne, lays his crown beside the throne, comes down to earth, takes you and me off the altar on a Mount Golgotha, climbs up onto the altar himself with our sins and with our shame and with our guilt. And there he died second death. And people say to me all the time, oh, oh, oh. He didn't die second death. He just died first death because in three days he rose. He died second death. Because human beings, the way we're made, the way we think, we think second death as eternal death is second death eternal death what is it second death is separation from God and Jesus had never been separated from God and he comes down to earth and I don't know how it technically happened I think we'll find out when we get to heaven but somehow all the sins of the world that had ever been committed were put upon him. You see, Isaac's up on the altar, symbolic of us, dying for his sins. He can't get down from that altar. He can't get off that altar. He's bound. The knife is above him. He's about to be slain. And you and I are in exactly the same boat. We are born human. We are born into sin. We are born in need of a saviour. If we don't do something about it, we're going to die. And we're not going to just die first death. We're going to die eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. But if we let Jesus, and it's as simple as saying, Jesus, yes. Can you do that? Can you say that? Jesus, yes. If we let Jesus, then he will take our sins. And I don't know how that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, but it happened. And he begins to pay the price for our sins. And he pays the price so you don't have to. He got hurt so you don't have to get hurt. He's paying the price so you don't have to. He's paying the death price, the the second death price. He gets separated from the Father. That's what second death is. It's separation from the Father. And there are a lot of people walking around today in the world who are experiencing second death before they actually have breath leave their body because they're separated in their lives from the Father. And it's a disaster for you to be separated from the Father because you're designed to be with Him. You're created for that. You're created for communion with God. And Jesus comes down, gets up on the altar, and the thing that hurt him, the thing that killed him, was when the father turned his back because that's what sin is, that's the price, and he walked away and Jesus was left there all alone in the darkness. It's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, with our sins upon him, you know what it's like when you feel guilty, when you feel ashamed, when you've done something awful. You know what it's like. You know the feeling you get inside, you can't sleep, you're anxious, you can get depressed. He can impact every area of your life. Well, Jesus has every sin ever committed, dumped on him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he might have been God in human flesh. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, he falls down to the ground and he's sweating drops of blood. 
The knife's not above him now. The knife is into his heart and ripping the very life out of him. It's our sins that are doing it. And God, the Father, is nowhere to be seen. And Jesus is dying. So much so that the Father actually had to send an angel to strengthen him. He wouldn't even made it to the cross. He's dying. He's up on the altar. He's paying the sacrifice. Not long after that, Abraham returned. And he returned back to the servants and they went home with Isaac alive and well who lived a long, prosperous, beautiful life. The ram took the place of Isaac on the altar and God, Jesus, will take your place too. And I want to close with this. But for him to do it, you've got to choose. You've got to say, yes, Jesus, take my place. You've got to say, yes, Jesus, be my saviour. And if that's your choice today, I want to invite you to bow your heads. And I want you to listen as I pray on behalf of us this prayer of repentance straight from the Bible. It's a prayer that David prayed. It's Psalm 51. And it's a prayer we need to pray. So if you feel that way, if you want Jesus to take your place on the altar, pray this prayer with me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me, O Lord, from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and I have done evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth. I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But you desire truth inside of me. You will teach me wisdom in my deepest parts. So, dear Father, cleanse me with hyssop. Make me clean. Wash me, my Father, that I'll be whiter than snow. O Lord, I want to hear joy and gladness again. You crush my bones, but now I want to rejoice. O Lord, hide your face from my sins. Blot them out. Please, Lord, blot out all my iniquity. And then I pray that you will create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. O Lord, I pray from the depths of my heart, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Please, Lord, restore the joy of your salvation in me. And if you do that, Lord, then I will share with other sinners how to know you and how to turn to you. So, Lord, as I close this prayer, 
save me from blood guilt. Oh, the God who saves me, when you do that, I will praise you with my tongue. My lips will declare your praise. I will delight to worship you. Please, Lord, hear my prayer. Hear the prayer of the righteous through you, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 